If we would learn to view our lives from the grave backwards, there'd be a whole lot of nonsense we wouldn't be involved in. There'll be a whole lot of stuff we would have cut out of our lives, a whole lot of activities, a whole lot of things that didn't really, weren't really weighty. They weren't meaningful. This is Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Crawford Loretz. Interesting thought there. What things would we change in our lives if we could live from the grave backwards? We are in a series called The Pursuit of God's Heart, looking at the life of David. And in our study today, we'll see that David took an overview of his life as he lay on his deathbed. He prepared to pass the torch on to his son Solomon. David recounted the things the Lord had taught him. He had experienced highs as he followed and obeyed the Lord, and deep lows when he disobeyed Him. David was pointing to footprints in the sand, and that's the title of today's message. We'll get to the first part in a moment. We're glad to have new listeners each week, and if this is you, welcome. Some background about our speaker. Crawford has served in Christian ministry for over 50 years. He retired after 15 years serving as senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia. Living a Legacy highlights the messages Crawford gave while at Fellowship. Now in retirement, he heads an organization called Beyond Our Generation, a ministry leadership mentoring program. He's authored such books as Leadership as an Identity, Unshaken, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. Well, let's head to God's Word. Our text is 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1-4. through 4. Crawford will read from this text and then provide a bit of review from this series. Here he is on Living a Legacy. 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, going to read verses 1-4. through 4. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness, with all their heart and with all their soul. You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. This is the final installment in our series on the life of David. Uh, We've entitled the series, David, the Pursuit of God's Heart. And we know that David ran hard after God's heart. You say, well, Crawford, last week you talked about the oops in his life. Yes, I did, the downside or the dark side uh, and the high price of failure. And David failed and failed miserably, he did. Tragically, he failed. But still, David is called a man after God's own heart, even in light of that, because David repented. David corrected the ship. David came back to God. David did what was necessary, and he was restored. And I want to say a little word here. You know, when we say finishing well and finishing strong, it doesn't mean that you didn't make any mistakes or you didn't have any tragic disappointments in your life. But it means that you got back on track. It means that you did the right thing. It means that you made the corrections in your life. So to have a failure as dark and as terrible as it was, God didn't pull punches about what David did. You, you can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. And David paid a high price for what he did. But nevertheless, because he repented, 
God did a work in his heart and life. So now we come to this part in David's life where David is dying. He's come to the end of the road. As you read the context here, he's weak. His voice is not nearly as strong. And he calls his son Solomon in to pass the baton and to pass the torch. And he points to footprints in the sand. David's footprints. And the charge that he gives to Solomon is is based on impeccable integrity. For David is now now talking about the essence of his life and what's most important to him. He's not talking about fluff here. He's not talking about ancillary stuff. He's not talking about little transient temporary stories, but he's talking about that which is most meaningful. Have you ever sat by the bedside of someone who was dying? Have you ever had someone charge you, say, speak some words to you? give you a piece of advice as they're facing eternity? Yeah, it's sobering. I, I, my, my dad did that to me. He was dying, and it was just a matter of time. And I'll never forget in this moment, he was going in and out, but in this moment of lucidity and, and clarity, I, I never forget, he just looked at me, he, says, he said, boy, take care of your mother and your sisters. It did something to me. Most of my mentors, not most of them, a good number of my mentors are dead and gone, but they still disciple me from the grave. It really is interesting. They still disciple me from the grave. Uh, for example, I, you know, I talk a lot about my dad, probably talk too much about him, but, but there's not a day, honestly, there's, there's never a day that goes by that I don't think about him. Seriously, that's not hyperbole or, I don't, there's never a day that goes by now. And often I think about specific things that he said to me. And it's uncanny. From his grave, as he, well, he's in heaven now, but from that position, he's still nurturing me and discipling me. As I read through this text, I, you know, Dr. Douglas B. McCorkle, you don't know who he is. He's with Jesus now, the former president of the college that I went to. Um, I can't tell you the number of times when I'm looking at the structure of a text and trying to put it all together and figure out what is the author's intent and, and what are the, all that stuff. I can't tell you the number of times I think about him and what he said. Context is King Crawford. Context is King Crawford. Look at the connectors, the dominant verbs. These things, he taught me that. And to this very day in my study, he is discipling me from the grave. Dr. John K. Wood, you don't know who he is, but uh, he taught me homiletics, how to put things together in a communicative package. He's with Jesus now. And I can go on and on. These signatures, these marks that have been left over our lives, they're there, and they're, they're what we should be drawing from. The great apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We live in order for us to write an epitaph that will last for a long time. That's what we're really all about. The tragedy of our culture and the tragedy of our time right now, and this is particularly true here in the Western world, uh, it is painful for some of us to talk about these legacy issues. In the West, we have gotten so arrogant and so smug that we don't treasure our history, we don't treasure our heritage, 
and we typically are not valuing what's been placed in our hands. We think our moment in history is all that there really is and, and that it's all about me, it's all about my time, it's all about where I'm going. And so these grand themes of stuff that lasts forever, that takes us from one place to the next, they kind of lost on us a little bit. It manifests itself, I can get sidetracked with this, it manifests itself in terms of how we treat our elderly, how we disconnect them from our lives, how we devalue their input. We've traded wisdom for relevance, and I put quotes around relevance. And so what we have now is a bunch of people who are chic, who are cool, who are in the moment, but they've lost the banks of the river when it comes to wisdom. Smart, smart as all get out. But don't confuse smartness and insight with wisdom. We're the legacy components in our time. What are we doing? Our heritage is what's been placed in our hands. Our legacy is what we do with what's been placed in our hands. Many of us come from great places and great deposits have been made. We've got a great heritage, but we're not forging a wonderful legacy. Why? Because we're not doing something with what's been placed in our hands. We don't value and prioritize and and make core and central the heritage, the great godly heritage that we have. Uh, You know, we can't do anything about where we came from, but we can do something about where we're going. That's the whole point. And I would even argue right now, you know, in the sovereignty and providence of God, yes, even the hellacious, awful, bad, terrible, unimaginable stuff that has happened to us in our background, in the sovereignty and providence of God, that's part of his plan upon which he will build our lives and the work that he's given to us. There's honey in the carcass. There's sweetness in the bitter experiences. And so whatever is taking place in our background, all of this stuff is not by accident. God didn't go, oops, that surprised me. I'm sorry about the wrong that happened to you. I didn't say that he initiated the wrong and the evil, but God, all things work together for good to them that that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, and he can turn around even the messes in our lives. I want to listen, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. One of the great problems that I, 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 I'm falling into this and seeing this happen uh, more often these days, those of us who are 30, 35, and 40 years old, who are still parked in neutral because of the pain of our past, and I, I got to say this the right way because I do not want to come across as being insensitive uh, in any way of some of the hell that all of, some of us have been through. But the truth of the matter is that when you're 30, 35, and 40 years old, if that still is a, 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 a ball and chain around you, certainly we need to get some help. But the truth of the matter is that we need to move on from there and start embracing personal responsibility for my choices because the clock and the calendar is running up against us. The issue is what are we gonna do now? Can we forge a new legacy? Can we forge a new direction? What's being placed in our hands? 
And all of these things are hinted at in this, in this passage. John Ron wrote uh, famously that all good men and women must take responsibility to create legacies that will take the next generation to a level we could only imagine. And as I was thinking about that quote, I thought to myself, Crawford, do you want the next generation to be who and what you are? And that's our question. Do you want the next generation to be who and what you are? And I think that that is a thing that pulled pull partially, at least, David back into the corral. Do you want, do you want the next generation to be who and what you are? Uh, it was uh, who, what, Sh- Shannon Alder, who famously said, carve your name on hearts and not tombstones. See, our real epitaph is not what they write on a tombstone about us. Our real epitaph in life is the people that we've influenced. My, my epitaph is not going to be on some grave marker or and the same thing with Karen. We talk about this a lot. Our, our, our real epitaph is not going to be summarized in some little pithy statement that's put on a grave marker. Our epitaph is going to be Brian, Heather, Brendan, and Holly. Our epitaph is going to be our 11 grandchildren. What did we write on their hearts? What did we write on their hearts? What was valuable? What was meaningful for Mimi and Papa? What, what, was, what was meaningful for them? What did they live for? What did their parents live for? What was most meaningful to them? What difference has that made? If we would learn to view our lives from the grave backwards, there'd be a whole lot of nonsense we wouldn't be involved in. There would be a whole lot of stuff we would have cut out of our lives, a whole lot of activities, a whole lot of things that didn't really, weren't really weighty. They weren't meaningful. And this is David as he's laying there and given this historic charge, this historic handoff, it's reminiscent of what Moses said to Joshua as he was about ready to die, wasn't allowed to go into the promised land, called Joshua, what is that, uh, uh, Deuteronomy 31, and he makes this handoff. I think basically, David again, as he's about to die, is making three charges to Solomon. And actually, in these four verses, there three charges which happen to be conditional charges and there are two promises. The promises are based on these conditional charges. Solomon will not experience these two promises unless these three conditions are met. And uh, we'll get back to what the two promises are, but there are three basic things as David calls Solomon in. He's laying there. He's about to die. And you can imagine the enormity and the weight of the moment is, is not missed on Solomon. He's looking at what many call the light of Israel, his daddy. Oh, he knows the stories. He knows where his daddy came from. He's looking at his father laying there and probably racing across his mind. Oh, my goodness. Yes, that was the 12, 13-year-old boy 
that they went to get from my granddaddy and told him he was going to be king. The 14, 15-year-old kid that couldn't even wear Saul's armor that killed Goliath. The one who ran for 16 years from Saul and refused to touch the Lord's anointed and waited on God. That's my daddy. I heard the story about Ziklag when they wanted to kill him. It was all over. But he didn't cut and run. He strengthened himself in the Lord. That's my father. Yeah, and I know about the nasty stuff he did with my mom. The dark side there. But I also know that he was broken and he repented. I know several of my brothers are dead because of what he'd done. He came back to the Lord. That's my father. Can you sense the moment? Again, we read these Bible stories as if they're somewhere between truth and fiction. But this is reality. Solomon is next. So David charges him. In these verses, David gives him three charges. He gets so in his grill he reduces his life down. He says, Solomon, Solomon, look, you, you don't have to try to be like me. You don't have to try to do things the way I did them. In fact, we're different. We come from a different era. Don't try to replicate my experiences, boy. God has a path for you. But here's the lowest common denominator, Solomon. You've got to do these three things. Buddy, you've got to do these three things. And I'm telling you, your whole Korea, the whole reign, your whole kingdom, the success and failure will be based upon whether you do these three things. He charged him, number one, I want you to live courageously. Number two, live obediently. And number three, live faithfully. First, he charges Solomon, I want you to live courageously. The overarching principle that I want us to get from this is that we need to press through the challenges and opportunities of our responsibilities. Listen to what he says here. Again, picking up verse 1, when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. Show yourself a man. Literally in the Hebrew it is become a man. Become a man. I think what David was saying to Solomon is, look, look, look. Yeah, yeah, there's some incredible responsibilities that are dropping on you right now. You didn't train for all of this. And your temptation is going to be to shrink back. You're going to run, you're going to want to run from the responsibility. You're going to want to try to like carve it out or repackage it. You're, you, you, you're, you're going to be tempted to say, this is overwhelming. This, I, I don't have all that I need to do this. But what David was saying is that Solomon, you must become what being the king of Israel requires. I want to say that again. He was saying to Solomon, Solomon, you must become what the king of Israel requires. Hear me on this, hear me on this, hear me on this. In life, you've got to become what your calling requires. We look at this thing backwards. Some of us, we're running from responsibilities, running from the calling that God has given to us. 
I tell younger leaders this all the time. The truth of the matter is, typically, God gives us callings beyond our capacity so that the doing of the work is not the miracle. We become the miracle in the process of doing the work. It is a challenge of the calling that causes us to rise up to get what we need and we prove God in the process to accomplish what he's called us to be about. And he says, look, don't run, Solomon. You gotta become what's required. When we've been given responsibilities that are beyond where we are, it is a call to growth and courage. That's what he's saying. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, I think it's very interesting, the Apostle Paul says something very similar to the men there at the church at Corinth. You drop it in its broader context. These dudes have been no-shows with all of the controversies and stuff that had gone on in that church and a whole bunch of dysfunctional nonsense in the church there at Corinth. And so in this parting shot, Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, he says three words to the dudes. He said, act like men. Act like men. Stop running. God's called you to lead, doggone it, lead. And this is what he's saying to his son. I can just feel it, his voice is not as strong. He says, Solomon, show yourself a man. Step up and God will give you what you need. Some of you are looking for God to give you what you need before you step up, but that's not the way it happens. You can pray all day long for God to give you what you need, but we live by faith. First you act and then God will give you what you need. You trust him and he will give you what you need. Act like a man. I I think perhaps David sensed some weakness in Solomon. Great responsibilities require great strength and courage. I know I'm reading between the pages here, but listen, face it. Solomon didn't grow up the way his daddy did. Crawford Lorenz, our teacher here on Living a Legacy. We are looking at the three charges David gave his son Solomon as David laid on his deathbed. Crawford gave us the first one, live courageously. And we'll get to the others in the next two messages. We're always encouraged to hear how these messages are impacting you. And here's a recent email. It is with a grateful heart that I say thank you for your recent messages on jealousy People I know well have, with jealous eye, taken notice of my involvement with the Lord's work, saying without angst and complaint, because of this I have been treated harshly, physically harmed, lost my job, and others have attempted to defame me. Although this is not the path or the series of events I would have chosen for my life to take, it amazes me how God has drawn me closer in relationship to His Word and Christ Jesus. I have peace, understanding, and a forgiving heart, and a drive to keep going. Honestly, this must be the work of God because it's beyond my own understanding. Crawford's teaching on jealousy was full of affirmation of what I've been observing, and the suggested coping techniques will help me walk down the leadership path the Lord is carving out for my life. Thank you so much for broadcasting this life lesson to help all who hear be the arms of Jesus and better model citizens. Well, I'm sure many of you can relate to that. Your Living a Legacy family is fully supporting you as you trust God in the difficulty. Now, how about you? What part of this series on David's life has resonated? Write to legacyatmoody.edu, legacyatmoody.edu. 
If you joined us late for today's message, you can catch it all on our website, livingalegacy.org. For Dr. Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.